When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Underrated Movie Podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss films that are underrated, underappreciated, and ones that have just flown under the radar and passed most people by. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my absolute favorite films, Gangs of New York, a 2002 epic historical film directed by the man himself, Martin Scorsese, the screenplay by Jay Cox, Steve Zalian, Kenneth Lo- and Kenneth Logman, based on the Herbert Ashley 1927 book. The film, of course, stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Daniel Day-Lewis, Cameron Diaz, and a number of character actors. I am your host, Derek McDuff, and joining me as a guest co-host is a, a man who needs no introduction, but I will still introduce <laughs> him. That is Karosh Josavi. How's it going, Karosh? Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be back, uh, hanging out with you. It's always fun talking movies with you. And yeah, my name is Karosh. Uh, you can, I, I'm, on, I'm Kujo Prime on all platforms. I'm a streamer. I'm a YouTuber, interviewer, panelist. I don't know. Just kind of like everything creative that we do in this in this yeah. field of pop culture, movies, games, whatever. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, it's good to be here. I'm excited to talk about this movie. Yeah, because last time we I had you on my other podcast, uh, yes, my Marvel and Infinity Stones and Dragon Bones, and we talked about one of the worst movies ever made, Morbius. So now we're talking about one of my fa- my my favorites. So one we're, one we're, of talking, my we're taking it in a positive direction. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so it's it's a nice change, but yeah. Thank thank you for being on. Karosh is the best. You know, somebody I've met a handful of times in real life, but you know, we we've, we've talked a bunch online, and of course. This is the guy who got me into Comic Con, so yeah, I'm so I'm glad I got I got you. Like it's it for me that my first Comic Con is always like a memorable experience. And I'm glad I could be you know a part of someone else's too. So and you were and it wasn't just like I you got in, but like also you did you were such a great help in in the panel I had with the photography and stuff. So I, I, I you know credit you for that too. I appreciate that. Thank you, thank you. I, I was happy to help, happy to be there, and yeah, that was. You know, a great panel. Uh, honestly, I, I had a blast watching you. But yeah, so I guess without any further ado, uh, we'll get into the film itself, which, uh, you know, originally when we were talking, I gave you a big old list of movies. Such a good uh, list. Said, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. If, you need, having... if, if no one else wants to talk about those movies with you, I would happily come back. Oh, I'm going to. Yeah, I'll <laughs> definitely have you back. <laughs> okay. uh, but um, 
Yeah, you the one you went to, as as you say, I have a list of great movies, but the one that you chose to talk about was Gangs in New York. So why was that your number one pick of that list? I don't often get like the other ones I've had I love talking movies with various mm-hmm. friends groups and you know with, with yourself and other friends that we both know and stuff. And this is one that I don't think almost ever comes up or no one ever like has any anything to talk about. So I was like Oh, this is this is a little different. Like when people think Scorsese, they I don't see this brought up hardly ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I feel like it fits very much in the theme. It's underrated. It doesn't get appreciated enough. And I feel like this would be if if and the fact that it was on your list, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm curious what what uh, your thoughts are, what we what we vibe on, or what what uh, what resonates. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, like you said, this is. I think people generally think it's a good movie, but it's not one that ever gets talked about with the Scorsese classics or even his newer films that people like a lot. It's got like a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is like fine. Like it's fresh, but it's not like for a Scorsese movie. You're like, that's that's low. Yeah, I feel like if it were by any other director, it would maybe have gotten talked about more. Mm-hmm. But because he has so many other films that people are always like, they're referring to, you know, the Parted or, you know, mm-hmm. every other film that he's like been a part of in any fashion. Um, it kind of gets, yeah, like you said, overlooked. Yeah. And I think one statistic that perfectly sums up, I think, this movie's reputation that year at the Academy Awards. So then 2003's Academy Awards, it was nominated for 10 awards, including pretty much all the big ones. Picture, best director. actor. Yes. Director. Goose egg. It went home with nothing. Wow. Yeah. So that sounds like people like this movie, but it's like, it's not, not that much. Like, you know, it even when it, I'm so, I don't remember. Did it not even get best like supporting actor? No, I don't think it got. Did Leo get nominated? I don't have the list in front of me of I, all. Of I, well, I was more thinking. I didn't. I don't know if we're. I'm guessing Daniel Day Lewis was maybe categorized as supporting, but if he was whichever category, if he got nominated, I'm surprised he didn't win. <laughs> so I'll go. I'll go down the list. So it sure. got best sound, um, original song, which that's the one I don't think it deserved because I I don't like you two. But <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> film editing, uh, costume design, cinematography, art direction. All that makes sense. The technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, and this movie looks incredible. So that all that yeah. makes a lot of sense. But then screenplay, uh, Day-Lewis got actor. Um, so actor. Okay, not okay. supporting actor, but actor. And then, like we said, director and picture. Okay. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then we've talked about the movie's reputation and stuff. But what about the guts of the film itself? What do you, what do you think about this movie? What's your Karosh official review? I... Have a strong so the first time I remember this movie very specifically because I was still I I, I was born in Oklahoma and I remember mm-hmm. we had a local theater I was in a small town and we had a local theater and uh, we'd see a lot most of the movies I'd see there but sometimes we do like it'd be like a weekend trip and we'd make it to like Tulsa or Oklahoma City that was like our that was like a fun weekend for instance. <laughs> um, and we'd sometimes be like, hey, let's go to dinner, we'll go to the mall. And we, I remember my dad and I, my mom was like busy doing something else. My dad's like, hey, let's go see this movie. And I was still at that age where I was like, I wasn't sure if I could see rated R movies or not. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it wasn't my first rated R, but it definitely was one of the most intense first ones I've seen. And in the performances that I saw and in the subject matter and everything, and it just left this imprint on my head with – Everything from the the whistling music and the drums mm. to the performances from everyone to just the overall tone of it, it just 
I I don't know how to capture it, but it was just intense, and the performances really grabbed me at that age. And now I watched it this past weekend just to be like, you know, let's maybe take some of that nostalgia lens off and see what like how I feel about it recently. And I still feel like I I have some criticisms, but I think by and large the things I enjoyed about it still resonate for me. There are just some things that I'm like, I it feels like there are da- there are dated elements to it, but it's just like rough around the edges. But to me, that epitomizes what this is. Like the subject matter was rough around the edges, the characters were rough around the edges, everything about this was rough around the edges, and I and I kind of liked that. That was like an appeal to me. Yeah, no, I I totally get what you're saying because it it does feel a little bit like a little bit dirtier, a little bit grittier. Scorsese tends to be a little like you know very clean but like he'll have those like long takes and moving through all the things and and everyone's very precise and this one just feels less precise you know so yeah i, I and appreciate and the that opening, the opening scene today to this day is one of my favorite opening scenes mm-hmm. with, the, yeah. with the beginning of the five points and everything and that music and i'm like yeah that, that's mm-hmm. probably like the one of them and then just from there yeah so that's yeah. why what about, what about for you yeah, no, I mean, I, I love this movie. Like I said, it's it's one of my favorites. Uh, this is a movie, like, you know how, like, some dudes, like, Fight Club is their, like, thing, you know? <laughs> like, I, I feel like for a teenage Derek, Gangs in New York was my thing. Like, I didn't see it until I was probably in high school, but I kind of always, like, it had this, like, for whatever reason, I was like, I really want to watch this Gangs in New York movie. It looks awesome. It's got, looks like it's got all these fights and stuff like that in it. And I, I had seen The Departed, and I remember being like, this is cool, but this looks like like The Departed, but like old-timey and awesome. And so I watched it, and I was instantly like really on board. And I think like a lot of people, the first time though, I was like, that was so good. But the ending, I don't know about the ending. <laughs> but I think like that over the next couple of years, and especially now, I think that the ending is really what makes the movie. I think that is that is like it's it's almost an anticlimax, but I feel like that is perfect. You get these like almost you you know it starts with this big battle that seems to set up everything, and then you know you follow this course of this you know this guy Amsterdam and this this path of revenge that he's trying to take against Bill the Butcher, and it's just this generational feud that like Brendan Gleeson has said it's been going on for like a thousand years or more, and like, you know, Valen, he just, he could have just left. He should have just, you know, but he's, he's been spending since his whole life getting ready to come back and take vengeance on this guy. And then he, this guy who comes becomes like a pseudo father figure to him. And he's all messed up about that, especially when he saves his life, which I think is one of the best sequences of the movie. And then they have that talk. Yeah. But the way it builds and builds and builds toward that ending is they have this feud. And I love that it's like interspersed with Civil War stuff, which, the first time I saw this, I thought it was like, oh, yeah, it's just like table setting. Like, it just is civil, set in the Civil War because that's the time period, whatever. It's just, but it it's ultimately like, yeah, you have this feud. You have these two people, these two groups fighting of this old conflict that literally does not matter. They came to this new world, and it doesn't matter at all. There's this whole, they're in this world that is now tearing itself apart, that has no care or disdain for their old feud. And there's a new, much bigger new feud that they're just ignoring. And it's going on in the background to the point where, like, the riots are happening and elephants are stampeding. But, like, whatever. We don't care. We're just here to kill each other. <laughs> I was going to comment about <laughs> that elephant scene was so weird to me. It's so weird. And it's very, it's very like, 2002 CGI. But you're like, it makes, like... They, they linger yeah. on it, too. And yeah. I'm like, 
And it is what? like set up rewatching it. You're like, oh, they they go to Barnum like two or three times. <laughs> but then it all like you're ready for like the big final battle. But then this other thing that's been happening in the background of the movie literally explodes in their face. Yeah, yeah. And then instead of like trying to kill each other, like you see like them like carrying each other out. Like the it's like they should have been paying attention to this all along. Lito should have just like left for San Francisco with Cameron Diaz, or he should have not come to the first place. And their whole thing doesn't matter. This is they've just been ignoring the real world to focus on their petty squabble. And in the end, none of it mattered. He does technically kill him in the end, but that's after he's already gotten like a mortal wound from some shrapnel. So for me, like the ending is what makes the whole movie so much more powerful. Yeah, I I, t- I think I agree with you. I I've had mm-hmm. a hard time coming to any sort of real like where do I sit with how it ends. Mm-hmm. I remember initially when I was younger, I was very just like I'm less. I was just more and more. They kept building to this this confrontation mm-hmm. between these two characters. This guy's been building and and and, and plotting and brooding. And I was like, oh, we're going to get like a duel or a battle mm-hmm. or a conflict and stuff. And it kind of goes out in a bit of like you said, like a, it's a little bit of a whimper, but also a little bit of like a, they've been so focused on each other that they're missing this whole other thing mm-hmm. happening that just takes them both off the rails. But like I, it's like also I think it's what brings it back to like what those characters were. They had their convictions. They had their mm-hmm. virtues or the lack of. I think that was one of the things that Bill's point was was – your father was a man of virtue, a man of uh, mm. he had he had his his beliefs, and you have none. You will do anything, whatever. You have no. You're you're aimless. Like you're mm. and you're even. And, and I think uh, Valen had maybe there maybe was, there was some frustration there too of like why he was so angry with him. He's like, I like him. I don't like him. I like this. I don't like this. I kind of go with whatever sway the city takes me or he takes me or whatever. And he's like, what do I like? Why am I doing this? What am? And I think. By the end of it, regardless of whether it mattered or not, like him having something to stand behind, having something to believe in, which was like we coming in by the thousands. Why are we so afraid of these folk, these natives, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. and rising up for like having something to believe in? And so I think that was I felt some sort of like progress in where the story and and the characters feelings were. And but it was like the world will keep moving regardless mm-hmm. of those things. And it's dangerous to ignore that, to neglect that, as they saw, because their conflicts just w- had so much collateral on that city. They mm-hmm. like they just were like, Yeah, screw this. We're gonna like Tammany, whatever votes this. Tam- like we run the streets. We we're kids in a bit. They're like, No, we're part of a bigger world now. The world keeps and I think that's what even happens at the beginning with the five points. They're like mm-hmm. they they had this the scale of things was smaller, but it was similar in that it was these small folks, you know, fighting over a larger space. And then now they're smaller folks fighting in an even larger space. And there's just this bigger world and this bigger city that, that this is all the, the, the bed of. And so I, I do find a new appreciation for the movie in that sense of like, it was like, kind of like Scorsese's way of infusing a bit of that mafia style of film as that he that he that he's kind of got a notorious for, but also of like being like here's a love letter to the you know the history of New York maybe or the beginnings of our country in that area or something. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think Leo's character development in this movie is really interesting. I think one of the moments that speaks the most to that is when he, rather than killing Johnny, he's like, all right, just get out of town, man. Like, I think that was a really, really cool moment. And, you know, you're talking about all like the all the stuff with the Irish immigrants and stuff like that and how it's it's something that is still like so important today. Immigrants coming to this country now and. You know that's where Scorsese pulls out his one long, sh- like his oneer, is when oh you yeah, see- with the shot. Yeah. Oh my god, that shot is is incredible because you know you see the immigrants coming off the boat and then it kind of like sweeps and they're like it's like all right, this is the document that makes you a citizen. This is makes you in the army. And then it kind of sweeps around. And they're all getting dressed and one's like, do we get fed now? And then it goes on the boat and then on that same boat, it's like craning off the dead bodies in the car. Co- and you're like, god damn it, Marty! You, like he really he really knows how to direct the fucking movie. So- yeah. Just kind of just painting a scene, painting a picture, mm-hmm. and just without any real, like just subtly and just so nat- you know fluidly, it was so good. And like, yeah, and part of that, I remember one of the things was like, while they after they've signed, they're like their families are leaving. It's like mm-hmm. you came to bring your families here, and now this is the cost that it's having for 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 that for to, for providing for them for for them to figure something out. Maybe I thought the other stuff was like the politics stuff when they had. Mm-hmm you know where everyone else was and then also where the high class people were mm. i don't know if you noticed scorsese is one of those high class people i uh, never caught that is he yeah earlier on uh, uh they they cut to it in the end a lot more mm, but earlier yeah. on there was one dinner scene and he was sitting mm. at the table of this family and you just see him like yeah, mm, yes and he's all <laughs> dressed uppity and everything i was like oh okay there you are marty but yeah just that separation of class as mm-hmm. well in this yeah. conflict and like even though they're like saying everyone's drafted, they're kind of the ones absolved of this. They're like, you don't need it. Like you are the ones instructing everyone where to go, what to vote for. And like a little bit of commentary on that aspect of our society, I think still is relevant to, to this day. But um, yeah, yeah, I like, yeah. and, and the Ross, the cast was even then I was like, back then I was like, damn, these are so, and looking back now, I'm like, there's a lot of big names then that, mm-hmm. and also many names that became bigger after yeah, yeah. Is this is this the last time John C. Riley had a serious role? Because he's so good as he's like Happy Jack, the like the policeman who sucks. Like, like is that, then he just like after this he started like hanging out with Will Ferrell and just did comedies. But you know, like he even had that bit in the Oscars where he's like, you can be both. He's like, what does he say? He's like, you can be both in comedies and dramas. I was both in Boogie and Talladega Nights, and then he <laughs> didn't really ever do any more dramas after this. This was the end of kind of a John C. Reilly age. I think there was maybe one other film that mm-hmm. was after this that was like a dramedy. It was mm-hmm. like a s- satirical kind of like sad indie drama film, but it was it was very it was still very kind of comedic, but yeah, I think by and large like the only other th- yeah, everything after this all I think of is, you know, Dr. Brulé and Talladega. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, honestly, like yeah, once once yeah, he like was in like Walk Hard and stuff. There was there was no turning back. Yeah, yeah. There were some great performances, though. Like, I loved, you know, like you said, Brendan Gleeson. He's a favorite mm-hmm. of mine. Yeah. His role, like, very much, it was few, but it was, it, to me, it was impactful. He has a presence to him. Yeah, that, he, like, he's good. It was perfectly captured in the way the character was, too. He was just notorious for having this, this bludgeon with these notches, and I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's imposing. Like the, his everything he does is imposing, and it matches who he is and his kind of uh, demeanor and everything. Um, were there any particular performances that you you resonated with? 
I mean, yeah, like Gleason was obviously great. I think that Day Lewis, obviously, you know, he he's he's got he's so good in this, and you know, it, it, he gets a little flat for like his method. I think it's like one of those things. It's like we celebrate the method acting when we like the guy, but when we don't like the guy, we like point out how crappy he is because he has literally the same style of acting as Jared Leto. <laughs> But, uh, we, but he's a good actor, and Jared Leto's not as good. <laughs> I uh, think maybe Day Lewis does it, maybe not as much to the detriment of others. Whereas, as well, much, I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say because there's there's stories even from this movie. Somebody else who I was gonna bring up, who I think is great in this in a small role, Liam Neeson, so good in this. He fucking hates Daniel Day Lewis. Really? Because, oh my yeah, god, I did not know. <laughs> because whenever, like between takes and stuff like that. Liam Neeson would be grabbing like a cup of coffee or something. He's like, "Priest, are you enjoying that coffee?" And he's like, "Can you just stop for you Irish mother whore?" Like he would just like like say all this like horrible shit to him, and it's just like, "Oh my god, can you fucking stop, man?" We're like between things. <laughs> that's hilarious. I can only. That's such an intense character too. Yeah, like it's and like it's like that would get so old, you know. <laughs> yeah, I I know I would definitely need a few drinks, <laughs> of, of maybe more than just coffee, maybe a little Irish coffee or something. Yeah, and <laughs> okay, and well, yeah, and then one one other person I was gonna say is, you know, his buddy Johnny. Do you know who plays Johnny? I like looked him up to see if he was anything else. Do you know what he's I, from? I know I've seen his face before. I don't know what from though. Imagine him much much younger. And and hanging out with Drew Barrymore, and maybe going trick or treating. What? No yeah, way! He's Elliot from ET. Oh no way! Yeah, wow! Yeah, right. Who knew Elliot was a little snitch? <laughs> right. Who knew? Right. He's I, such I, a God. little fucker. This. <laughs> I hated him so much in this film. Yeah. So many times. Yeah. Take a hint, man. Yeah, dude. She's she is not that into you, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he plays the character really well. I'll yeah, give him that. He's, he's like, good. Like the way he's just like, just kind of like cowardice, but also kind mm-hmm. of like standing up for himself and has a little bit of like a moral dilemma of how mm-hmm. he's doing stuff, confessing to Valon. So he has his journey, but like, I just, I couldn't, I personally couldn't stand him. No, he's a, he's a little fucking rat. <laughs> yeah. Like the best is one that like, she, he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to go dance with her. And then they're like, no. And he's like, and they're like, no, really, go. Like, she said no to you. Yeah. Like, like it could not be more clear. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But then, also, I was going to say, I remember, like, the narrative being around this movie for, like, a long time. It's, like, it's got two, one or maybe even two, like, all-time great performances. And then they're, like, and one of the worst. And rewatching this time, I was, like, like, people, like, shit on Cameron Diaz. And maybe her really? Irish accent isn't the best, but, like, that was like a running. Like I remember, even like there was like a cracked article. Like it was like the the movies where there's one great performance and the worst, and like it was like number one or two on the list. And it's like people just hated Cameron Diaz. Wow, and I, I was like, realize. yeah, I thought she was fine. I thought she was pretty good in this. She was okay. Like she gave me Selena Kyle, like Catwoman kind of vibes. <laughs> like I don't know, thief making ends meet, kind of does mm-hmm. take it under the wing by any means necessary, kind of thing. It never. I don't think it stood out to me in a mm-hmm. in a very positive or negative way. It was yeah. fine, like you said, it was fine. I think some of the stuff though in this film was very stylized in yeah. the sense of like, I mean, the butcher obviously, like mm-hmm. that was just super over the top. But other characters too were just like I think satire or like exaggerations of folks of those times. Like yeah. I think um, 
Tweed. Um, I was going to say, yeah, Jim Broadband in this. He is doing, yeah. like, oh, bearing a lot of votes down there. Ooh, you know? Yeah, he's really hamming up the political, yeah. you know, like all the, the he's like, we, we got to get votes into the boots. Yeah. Votes and that. Like, Tam, a vote for Tammany is a vote for, you know, all this yeah. shit. And I'm like, okay, if anyone's being over the top or really ridiculous, his was, but it fit. Like, it, yeah. that fit. But Bill the Butcher's fit because he was just this boisterous, almost Uncle Sam-esque join like kind mm. of mafia boss in some ways also patriot obviously mm. in his own ways and then you had like mcglowen as like the, mm, yeah. the most like i thought he was the most like over exaggerated irishman yeah in the way he was like oh you know like i'm ready for a fight and all this like you know stuff whatever yeah and i'm like jesus like yeah. okay sure i mean again it it seemed like the overall tone of mm-hmm. the film had these hyper stylized folks on every end of the spectrum. And then you had some folks that, and then it would go from there and then would get like gritty and like mm-hmm. simmering to a degree of like, we're going to bring it to a fine boil with the, between how these characters feel about their beliefs and their revenge and their thoughts. Cause you could tell like every time, I think that's where Valen was, or Amsterdam was most like conflicted was like, he hated this man for everything he'd done. And he, he swore revenge kind of. And, but he would also see the, out of any, like, no one, everyone that was on his, fought, the priest's side has switched or moved sides or lost their way. The only person that's, like, honoring him or puts respect in that man's name since that day that he died was Bill. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's such a conflict. I'm like, I'd be mm-hmm. twisted too. I'm like, they, I mean, the fact that he did what he did, but also, like, that he's the only one, like, honoring him, remembering him to, to like, an intense degree. Like, do, do not fault no one earns respect but, but that man kind of thing. don't knock over the picture and yeah and yeah. Then, like you're saying like you know with the performances like he's he's a very much larger than life character so it but and you i think you kind of need that like that just like ridiculous boisterous like over the i cut out my own eye you know character to be have leo just be like caught up in the cult of him and to uh, to be like you know and you see everyone has switched sides it makes sense because he is just so intense and powerful and you're like this guy does have this cult of personality that feels like it really can run the underground of the city yeah. and i love one thing i love this ties back to what you were saying about the the musical motif of like the drums and the whistle is that you get that echoed every time he sees someone from the, he's like oh this guy was fighting on my dad's side this guy was fighting and they're like they, they come back and you know you see them and it's like and it's playing again i think yeah the only and she's not a major character but the only one other one who doesn't really switch sides is hellcat maggie who i think is like a minor character but is a yeah she's just like a random (laughs) drunk badass who like has like fucking cat claws and shit i was like i don't know who you i don't know what your whole deal is but fucking you're awesome i would watch a whole movie about her like so that was a lot of fun but yeah yeah yeah, i i really think this movie you know coming out in 2002 Uh it's the start of leo's collaboration with scorsese it's kind of at the perfect nexus of the latter and early Scorsese because it's a throwback to like all the old like mean streets and like good fellas and stuff. The, the similar the narration of mm. of Amsterdam talking over everything that's going on, who the players are. I was hundred percent getting good fellas vibes. Right. <laughs> I was like, you're literally like this is such an homage to that or like a, a, a variation on that. I'm like, yeah, okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. 
it really feels like everything he was building towards in that first half of his career to the point where I, I don't know if you knew this, but like he was trying to get this movie made for about 20 years. Like he worked really? on this project for like a long time. And then after all that development, finally, it, he originally actually apparently had like a longer cut. But the, the, the Weinstein company was the one that made the cut. And that's why, you know, notorious producer, not great dude and person who, as I've talked about before, likes to cut down movies. Uh, big old creep Harvey Weinstein cut about, I guess, wanted to cut about 20 minutes of the movie. So I, there is like a there is like a three hour like clean cut yeah. out there that I would love yeah. to see. But apparently Marty's like, no, this is this. I worked. This is my final vision. So but okay. then I, I think it does really like kind of also show where the rest of Scorsese's career would spring to. And like this is this is like a period piece. And he'd done some sort of period pieces before, but not like a big historical epic like this. And I love that later Scorsese starts getting into different genres and stuff. Like he comes out with like another film I've covered on here, Silence, Hugo. Yeah. It's like, oh, let's. Let, I'm Martin Scorsese. I'm just going to make this 3D kids film about the <laughs> silent era of movies. You're like, okay, cool. I, I fucking love that movie. And so, and Shutter Island, a like weird thriller. Like he yeah. just, he got weird with it. And I think that, yeah, you can really trip point to this one to be like this is the exact kind of middle of his career and and i mean i think it's it captures so much of what i like from both later and early scorsese and I, and you mentioned silence one thing that i found interesting i was kind of like looking into the writing team of this i believe jay cox is one of the ones that wrote yeah silence as well as this and i definitely see like there was a lot of like religious undertones obviously with priest and like how much the church is an extension mm-hmm. of england and all that stuff. And I, I found like that blending in with the historical elements of the conflict here was really interesting. It wasn't just a culture coming here. It mm-hmm. was the fact that the way Bill was seeing things, it was the church and the church is run by and they were like uh, as an extension of this country. And we mm-hmm. fought that country. That's why we left. That's what America is. And mm-hmm. so this is like he see, he saw that as an invasion in some ways of, of those beliefs and, and what the virtues that he stood by. So I agree. I think there was like definitely like this was one of those paradigm shifts for for Scorsese of like how does he take his future films and mm-hmm. where does he go and what kind of things does he work? I think he went in a lot of different directions and I, I think they all came out of more polished after having this had a big like the scope and scale of it. Like the the it was mm-hmm. covering the city, it was covering a lot of subject matter, it was covering a revenge story, it was romance. There was, you know, the city conflict, the historical aspects. I it's think an it, epic. It truly yeah. is, yeah. The, the length of the cut and, like, just how long of a film it was. I feel, I feel like most of his other films, while they cover, like, a wider, like a wide variety of, of a cast, like, they're, they're more contained stories. They're more, fo- like, mm. more intimate stories on a smaller scale. And I like that he kind of, like, dabbled. Like, this was him trying, testing the waters with that, and then succeeding and going forth to do other stuff with it. Yeah, absolutely. Stretching yeah. his muscles, as, as it were. Yeah. And I, I'm really glad you brought up the religious stuff, because I think that's something that is so key to this movie and so key to Scorsese's entire filmography. Um, I talked a lot about on our Silence episode how I just, I love the way that, like, Catholic guilt and, like, religious trauma and, like, trying to figure out all that stuff is covered so interestingly and, like, crises of faith and stuff like that. And I think that is a real through line in Scorsese's career. And I think that another big thing is going all the way back to, you know, one of his first films, Mean Streets, is yeah. like 
the religion that people talk about and say, and then they go and like, they'll go pray in the church and then go right out and just have these just acts of insane violence. Yeah. And, and Scorsese talked about like, that was him as a kid. And he talks about a lot of times he's like, yeah, I would grow up in these streets where I would see, you know, you can very much imagine him being like young Leo in that first scene and kind of like seeing this huge gang war happen, this all this violence happened, and people are like, oh yeah, but you know, make sure you go pray. You know, like you said, his dad in this is literally priest. He's like he's priest Valen, and he goes out there with that like big cross that he uses to kill people or whatever. Like, and so I've always been way more interested in that aspect of Scorsese's career when he touches on the kind of dichotomy of like religion and what that means and his own growing up with like Catholic guilt has meant mm-hmm. for him than like just like a traditional mobster movie that he's maybe more famous for. I've always really been interested in that kind of stuff. I mean, it was like, this is also, isn't like you, like you said, mean streets you, mm-hmm. you were talking about the, I mean, the last temptation of Christ. Yeah. You know, being a, that being a very mm. direct conversation yeah, about yeah. that subject matter, um, yeah. but but a lot of other like I think it is a a, a theme that mm-hmm. he he doesn't ignore, and I think is very important to him and to what you know it, it causes conflict in character. You see it; mm-hmm. it drives. It's what, what can motivate some characters. Um, it can drive characters to conflicts and you know different ideologies and stuff like that. So, yeah, I I, I definitely find that. Um, I appreciate that in a lot of ways, the 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 just what he did with it in this film and where it fit within all that, within all the different subject matter already there that was loaded. It yeah. was just a powder keg. The film as a whole, like powder keg, is like the perfect way to sum it up for me. Yeah, yeah, like built to the literal explosion yeah. there at the end. And yeah, something too I was going to say uh, earlier was like, because you talked about the powder keg and building and building and then as I kind of was saying, like, it just, what is it? It maybe didn't mean anything in the end. And I I love that last shot. You talked about how Scorsese Mm. is so great with the imagery and you see there, the final result of this is they're both, both uh, the priest and Bill are dead. They have these, these gravestones overlooking the city. And over the years, they just slowly, slowly fade away, literally and figuratively. And, And at the end, it's like, what happened? It's all it's all gone. It's all washed away. And even like Leo's last lines in the movie are are really saying something to that effect. Yeah. I I think one of the things it's like it it it's it was in, in the early part it was like with the priest and right. the memory of, or lack thereof of him in that area where he was such a important figure at that time. And as time went on, just people forget the dead rabbits. They forget the priest. They forget all these things. It just showed it as a larger picture at the end of like, yeah, not only that conflict, but just generations and generations mm-hmm. passing by. And, you know, you you lose sight of the history, you lose sight of the conflict, mm-hmm. you lose sight of the the tension. And you also lose sight that it like Brendan Gleeson's character was saying, like, this isn't a new conflict. This is this mm-hmm. has been going on. And we yeah. and I think that kind of like that shot captures all of that and saying like the cycle, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is like we said, this is a historical film. We're both agree, like this is clearly an epic on a bigger scale than probably Scorsese has ever done. I don't know, maybe, but it's 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 definitely up there, you know. And yeah, yeah. you know, to the point where like they had to essentially like 
Set Either, pieces, all that stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. They had to build like old New York City in <laughs> like I think Italy because or maybe Portugal because that those parts of just uh New York just don't exist anymore. And so yeah. they built these huge extensive sets and had like all these extras and all this stuff. And I think that it's a it's, I talked about it when we I talked about kind of older films. We did this uh miniseries talking about uh old movies, and one of the ones I talked about was Zulu. And how that kind of genre of filmmaking, these big epics with these sets and all these, these actors and stuff, and these historical, amazing settings that are recreated have kind of gone away. And I feel like the early 2000s was kind of the last, like you get Gladiator, and then you get this, and you still might get like like a superhero, quote unquote, epic, like Avengers or something maybe. But Like um, Lord of the Rings comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah, Lord Were of the they... Rings, which was like yeah, the same time period, like you know, the second one came out the same year as this, and so it felt like those these you know this was the kind of end of that epic storytelling or epic kind of movie. I don't know. Do you, are there any other ones more recently you could think of, or what do you think about? I I think I agree. I think there's definitely. I mean, it's, from a Hollywood standpoint, I, it makes sense because like the amount of the film industry has been so volatile. It seems mm-hmm. like in a yeah. lot of ways, and they're just sticking to the. Even more so, like it's not new, but in, in more so, unless they really trust a creative team or, or, or a creative uh, uh, owner or someone like a Scorsese or someone like that, they don't really go out on a limb with saying like, yeah, go shoot on, on location mm-hmm. if it's more than one location. Like even one location could be, yeah. to my knowledge, like that seems like they're they're very much like, why why do that when we have... Mm-hmm. All these technological tools at our disposal that can make anything right. happen, wherever you know, right. like I think there's yeah. there's definitely a, a, a. I agree. I think that's much fewer and far between now, and you might see it maybe on artist more like what are deemed artistic or independent films, where they're just kind of like, we're going to do a little bit out of the norm, and we're going to be in this location. It's going to feel immersive. It's going to feel just very. I don't know. It's going to have a different feeling to it. Like and it'll be either one location or a very just they're often some who knows where like a desert I, i'm trying to think mm-hmm. of a few films I, I think a lot of times i think of like sci-fi films that yeah. are that are on the lower production end of that and i none are coming to mind off the top of my head but yeah i do think that generation was kind of like the last where you'd see it on a, on a larger scale with with these with gladiator with lord of the rings with some of the other films yeah because i feel like you got to be basically chris nolan to get like to be able to be like okay i'm gonna get a lot of money and shoot on location because even like the recent indiana jones movie which was had a huge budget which i liked a lot did not do well at the box office at all (laughs) but yeah um as as before we wrap up here any any kind of stray thoughts or anything on gangs in new york i'm just thinking i'm like I'm looking at the. I, I I wanted to talk briefly, I guess, about some of the way the shots were. There were yeah. moments where it wasn't even like particular action shots. I think it's mm-hmm. it, it did occur sometimes in the more frantic scenes, whether it was like the dance moments or the early the fight at the very beginning of the Battle of the Five Points, um, mm-hmm. where it was just like this kind of like the frames look like they were like lagging and kind of like a slow-mo kind of like yeah, real effect. I, I had that in my notes too. That's something like I Scorsese, it's like a trademark of his where like, it'll like stop and then it'll like go like a frame later. Like it's like something yeah. he's done in a lot of his films. 
that and a few other things that just I know it's in his like bag of wheel, bag of tricks of like mm-hmm. different kind of thing. But there was another moment that was like when the McGloan was at uh, Valen's camp at towards the end, mm-hmm. and then the pre- and then he turns and he's like, "Father, did you know there's a, there's a there's a black guy in the church?" Yeah. And then the father just like he's like he t- turns and then he does like this weird, they just the the way that the camera captured him throwing a brick or something at the guy's head, gave me Sam Raimi vibes, <laughs> like. Some of these shots just felt kind of very hyper stylized and interesting mm. in that way where I was like it felt like he had like a mix like maybe he was met dabbling in some stuff like early um Pat uh what's his name um what's the Lord of the Rings uh Oh Peter Rings? Jackson? Peter Jackson, yes, Peter yeah, Jackson. Yeah. Oh, or early Peter Jackson or like a Sam Raimi stylistic like action shots like the way the camera just sways with a with a shot or a scene. Yeah, almost like Kubrick in, like, you know, where yeah, yeah. like Jack with Jack with the axe or whatever. Yeah, some scenes like that moment, not all, but there mm-hmm. was there were little bits that would just throw me off. I'm like, oh, that was interesting. Like it, it really caught my eye. It it stuck with me in terms of like the way the, the shots were done or the framing or anything like that. So I found that interesting. Yeah, I think the one you brought up, I it's because I think Scorsese is such a like man, and I know it's like also his DPs and his cinematographers too, but like. Yeah. He's such a master of just the way everything is framed. We already talked about the last shot and then that long tracking shot, which obviously he's so famous for his long tracking shots. But that one where you kind of see the, you know, the guy hit him in the, the, the priest hit McGloin in the head, I think yeah. is one of the funniest moments in the movie and speaks <laughs> yeah. to how like funny just editing can be. Cause it like hard cuts to like him walking all angry with a big, fucking bandage on his head i remember i just started cracking up because he's just like he's, he just says this thing that like you know he, he drops the hard end and you're like oh man screw this guy and then he like baps him in the head and it just like cuts them and you're like good you're like laughing and you're gonna clapping you're like good yeah through that guy yeah. through that guy and then the next shot you see that guy marching with uh with the bill and he's just got mm-hmm. like a little band bandage on his head. he's like hmm yeah, exactly. It's such a good cut. It's so funny. I, yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that. And then I would say there was one other thing I was going to say. In terms of humor, mm-hmm. um, the other thing that came to mind was when uh, John C. Riley's character was like, I'm having a conflict, you know, like, I, I do what's right for the law. And Daniel mm-hmm. was like, what are you even saying? Yeah, he's, and like, he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, but he's like, almost like a, is this city guard? Like, it's like yeah. every aspect of the city, he's like, is it he's realizing it's moving in weirder dumber directions yeah and he's like i he felt like i think in that moment he felt like very much like a disgruntled and he pulls out he's like i'm just so sad for this poor oh poor. yeah and then he starts crying and he's like Meh. he like, does that fucking face it's so yeah. good and then he like the way he ends it he just kind of like looks at him like do your fucking job yeah it's so good and i just i don't know i kind of love like that the like whole thing he represents is he's just like He's kind of the old cranky way of thinking. He's just like he's like we can't have these immigrants coming down to our shores, and and it's like ah oh, the old ways are the best. And and he's like and I I think it's he they literally call themselves Native Americans, even though he's <laughs> been here for like one or two generations at most. Like he's like yeah, my dad died in the War of eighteen twelve. Like his dad might have even been from England, but he's like it's so ridiculous. He, and you, I think there's an ego to him and yeah. like. I am America. Yeah, yeah. I like when he literally is. He wears the the flag as like a morning, like yeah. like a like robe almost. Like you yeah, know, 
Just that eagle away. would have a, a single blue line in it if it was made today. Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even his eye had a had like, yeah, like there was an eagle in there and all that stuff. Yeah, blue lives matter, Leo. Did I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> you do a good impression. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you know, I I got. I hope there's clips of him and uh and Neeson. Like, I want to <laughs> see so... a, I want to see a blooper reel or something. That'd of be that. so good. That'd be so fucking good. I feel like that's almost. I've the only other story I've heard of like such like conflict like that was Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Oh my god. Fucking. <laughs> you gotta tell the like, story. It's so it's so good. Yeah, like just on the set of what was it, Batman and Robin? Batman no, Forever. Batman Forever, and how much Tommy Lee Jones hated just the energy and the vibe that like Jim Carrey was bringing off set, like between mm-hmm. takes and all that stuff. He's like, I hate this guy. I hate him so much. Wasn't it also like he said it on an interview or something? Or well, yeah, Jim Carrey was like, yeah, so he wasn't like vibing with my whole thing. That was like when Jim Carrey was at, at his most Jim Carrey and like Tommy Lee Jones was at his crankiest old man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I think like that. Yeah, I, let me see. Because like he, he apparently like went up to him and like, oh, okay, this is the greatest line. Like he, Jim Carrey was like, hey man, what's the problem? And what Tommy Lee Jones said back to him was, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> Just one of my all-time great lines from behind the scenes. Yeah, oh, that's man. cool, man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, all right. Uh, I just had one more question before we wrap up. And because I like to, on Underrated, we've always kind of ended with questions. I'm trying to bring that back. And so, you know, we talked a lot about how this is kind of a, a great historical film. Do you have any great historical, you know, any great uh, movies that are like historical epics or even just like, you know, ones that are these uh, great period dramas or anything like that. Hundred percent. There's one of my yeah. all-time faves, and it has. It matters if we, you're watching the. I don't. I gotta check real quick if it's the uncut uh-huh. or the director's cut. But Kingdom of Heaven. Okay. Yeah. That is. That is. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. That is one that I have maybe. I don't want to reveal too much, but I have maybe a, something in the pipeline about doing Kingdom of Heaven and the difference between the director's cut and the theatrical. Because the yeah. director's cut is one of my favorite movies. Of, favorite movies, and Liam Neeson's in that one too. As, yeah, a, as a badass. He's yeah, that's a great movie. Ridley Scott always has really good director's cuts. Yes, and that was I love that film so much. So I would highly recommend. It's um, it's I believe more of like a historical drama in the mm-hmm. biblical times, crusade times. Mm-hmm. So I would highly recommend. That would be my my answer. That is that is a really good pick. If I for me, I'd have to say probably my favorite historical film is Amadeus. You ever see that? You almost thought you might be talking about it because there's a director's cut of that one too. <laughs> I have, I have not had the pleasure of fully. I've seen parts. I haven't seen the whole thing. It's okay, been that, on my to-do list. That's that's one. Yeah, I would I would say definitely check out. It's <laughs> it's it's a movie that deeply resonates with me it's you know another movie that is very darkly funny and and relatable in certain aspects to me so nice. yeah i love it so anybody cool. listening and you as well i would i would highly recommend it too thank you yeah but yeah thank thank you again for coming on everybody you know out there listening check check karosh out like kujo prime he's a twitch streamer he does he like you said he does all the stuff yeah, he's a twitch, man of many twitch. talents you can find me at twitch.tv uh, slash at Kujo Prime and, or slash Kujo Prime. And you can find me at youtube.com slash at Kujo Prime. And then I'm Kujo Prime on all social platforms. 
All right, yeah, excellent. Yeah, what are you what are you doing over there? Like, just to give the people a taste. Um, on on the streaming side, on the gaming side, I, it's right now a lots of Tetris. I'm I would I'm the self proclaimed most charismatic Tetris player there is. I'll second that. I second that. There's a lot of really good Tetris players, but they don't have like they don't have they can't they, they can't talk the talk they can't walk the walk they don't have that um, glitch in their eye like you do yeah yeah <laughs> and so I, I'd say on the on the gaming side that's that's what I'm up to that's my f- current forte of things on the on, in addition to that on YouTube I've been beginning to do a series of interviews with game developers oh, nice tr- shedding light on like a lot of what they do on various games largely independent games. On the smaller scale, but to give folks an idea of like what those games are like, what the development process is like from different perspectives. Um, I just finished one earlier today. I have another one after this, um, so I'll be putting more of those out on YouTube, so you can see. So I have a couple out already on YouTube, so you can see those there. Yeah, definitely. I'll you know there will be a link in uh, the description uh, to his his stuff, so definitely click on that, check that out, and once you're done giving him all the the, the love and attention he deserves. You can check out some more underrated stuff. It's going to be at underratedmoviepodcast.com. Been doing some stuff on TikTok. I've been having a lot of fun there. Make, there's a lot of cool or there's a lot of cool TikTokers who are like film TikTok people that I've been, you know, making videos like in response to and stuff like that. And then um, I also should mention that starting a new Patreon. Uh, so specifically yeah, for the Underrated Movie Podcast. So just getting started. And by the time this is out, we will have released our first episode of the new Patreon-exclusive show, uh, where we are talking about uh, specifically sports movies. Uh, so we talked. To, I talked about uh, Moneyball with Craig from Hooks and Runs. That was really fun. So if you want to hear some stuff that is less underrated, more universally beloved, check that out. You know, that's got that's for three dollars a month. But there's also an option to do just one dollar a month if you want to just that way and you also get episodes early provided i can ed- edit them early if you sign up at least that one dollar level and if you sign up for five dollars then we'll let you pick an episode once you've been a patron for five months so we got all kinds of good benefits there but yeah something for everyone yeah exactly thank you but yeah check out underrated and all that stuff on all the socials underrated movie podcast of course check out cujo prime as well one last time thank you so much for coming on this has been yeah. a blast Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I'll see you next time, man.